Welcome to the Make the Future podcast. I'm your host, Jacques Beauvais, Dean of the Faculty of Engineering at the University of Ottawa. Join me as I connect with our alumni, students, industry partners, and researchers to explore the future of technology and innovation and how, through creativity and collaboration, we can make our own future. They say the future is coming, but that's not true. The future is already here. And it's relentless. It's not going to wait for you to catch up. How will we live in this future? How will we make sense of it? To define our course, we need a new perspective. One that engages our curiosity, that activates our imagination, one that defies the conventional. To own the future, we need to do more than just see it. We need to make it. Welcome to today's podcast. We are doing a special live recording of the Make the Future, Future podcast at the University of Ottawa's Canada North offices in front of a wonderful audience to discuss one of our favorite subjects, combining engineering and arts, and more precisely, multidisciplinary VR engineering and design. So once again in the series, we're joined by Hanan Anis, who's a professor in electrical and computer engineering at the University of Ottawa. And she holds the NSERC Chair in Entrepreneurial Engineering Design and leads our Center for Entrepreneurship and Engineering Design. Welcome, Hanan. We're also joined by Chantal Rodier, who is the one and only and unique artist in residence for STEAM projects in the Center for Entrepreneurship and in Engineering Design based out of the University of Ottawa's Faculty of Engineering. Bienvenue, Chantal. And finally, we have a two-time U Ottawa Engineering alumni, Elisha Pruner, who was one of the original eight students to join the team of students that helped bring U Ottawa's Center for Entrepreneurial Engineering Design to life almost five years ago. And she currently works as a software developer in machine learning and virtual reality at the Ottawa Hospital. Welcome, Elisha. So we will start right away with the questions. Hanan, why is engineering design important? And why is it important for students and industry? It will be instant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, I mean, the term engineering design really talks about anything from sort of the idea generation all the way to commercialization. And before starting the podcast, I had an interesting conversation with someone from industry right here, <laughs> who where I said, you know, there's a lot of times there is great research that is coming out, but actually how do you take it all the way to industry where it can be used? So, uh, and we do that by introducing our students from the first year to actually problems that are um, in society. Sometimes those are community projects, sometimes it's industry projects, but the idea is the same. Take a problem from the very beginning until you can prototype it and then even look before, after prototyping, how to turn it into a commercializable product. So that's really the importance of engineering design. Okay, thank you, Hanan. Um, 
we like to talk about how fast this has grown. And um, when Hanan started with the makerspace, the Richard Labbé makerspace today, there is this, this fabled eight students in 2015 that were working in the makerspace. And today we have the privilege to have one of those original eight students. Now, as you may know, if you've come to visit recently or spoken to us, we actually now have 2,000 students a year and more going through the makerspace every year. We have 1,000 students involved in the, the, the maker labs where we do the, the courses and the teaching and where Hanan and Chantal are helping out the students. So I, I'm really curious, Alicia, to know what was the experience like? Uh, I almost said all of those years ago, but it's barely four years ago when you were one of those original eight students. I, I came back to University of Ottawa as a mature student. So when I came back, I wanted to do something special with my computer science degree. So I wanted to learn as much as I could about entrepreneurship. And when I saw this class posted, I, was, I definitely had to join. Um, so we were the first eight. And what was really special about this class compared to the other classes that I took at the time was the fact that we got to work with an actual client. And we got to work with kids. So our, our project was to build these games for a group of grade five students. And working with children versus working with adults is so different. What they like and what they don't like, it's like we got to learn about their little world. Um, so we went and we talked and we interviewed and working with an actual client, the best part of it is that it really challenges you because you have an idea as an engineer what you should make, but when you actually work with a client, they're like, no, 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 <laughs> that's not what we want. We actually want this. And so it makes you really learn and grow, I think. What, was it a physical game or was was it a computer game or was it really like a, a, a table game? So it could be anything. Okay. Uh, so the first the first session we went with the students and we just talked to them and asked questions. So for example, we learned when we talked to them that they really love Minecraft. So one group made a Minecraft game that lets them put skins on the characters so they can make their own Minecraft characters. What our group did was we made jewelry, so we did electronic jewelry. Um, but basically, it was something that the kids could play and interact with. So today, Hanan, why do you feel that it's so important to infuse a, di a dimension of multidisciplinarity in the engineering design process? And how has that impacted our students and their learning? Yeah, so I mean, <clears throat> client base was is, was great, uh, and actually uh, this sort of Alicia story bring a memory to me, and I think it's important to um, tell the audience about this memory, which is clients also change their minds, and this is, <laughs> this is what happened with Alicia and the eight students. In fact, the idea was we wanted interactive toys that are educational. That was the sort of the theme and the intent. And we had a design thinking methodology and went into the classroom, heard, did interviews with the students. They told us stuff and the student went and put concepts together, okay? And they came back and these concepts really were around what they hated in school. And the teacher, you remember that star? Yeah. The teacher saw this and she freaked out and she said, oh, but that's not what is going on. So we go back to the students and they said, no, this is not what we said. <laughs> and it was a very interesting dynamics because here's the student, listen to the interview, this is what they said. They changed their mind. 
And, you know, it was the first experience in seeing, okay, the client has their own, and this is the extreme, yes, which is children, but at the same time, it's street life. And this is a lesson that is important. But just to get back to your question, Jack, I mean, after the initial success and as we expanded from one section, one little section to, you know, three sections that are bigger and so on, what, what struck me is that I found that engineering students have a certain mindset. And that mindset, whether it is because we attract a certain mindset or because we, uh, you know, push a certain mindset, I don't know. But I really realized that we're missing certain aspects, that uh, multidisciplinary uh, projects uh, become so it's one thing you know these courses these design courses have multidisciplinary in a sense that they are not department related right so chemical engineering students work with electrical uh, and computer science and so on but that's not enough what about other groups that are not non-engineers so we started really looking at projects that are not engineering maybe arts projects maybe medical projects, you know? And then the next step was, okay, this is well and good, but that actually still engineering students working together. And we started pushing towards, let's work with artists. And and when, when that combination happens, and I think probably our students and engineering are probably the furthest uh, from each other. And this is where I think a lot of magic happens because they are the furthest from each other. Now that led us eventually through the work that you had, the collaboration with Chantal, led us to uh, create this, this idea of an artist in resident and faculty of engineering. So, so to try to get into that, why, this is a question for you Chantal, why should we put an added focus on multidisciplinarity in the training of our technology-focused students from your perspective? Well, creativity and multidisciplinarity, I think, are, are key to innovation. That's uh, not only me thinking this, uh, lots of documentation, lots of uh, research has been going on. There's even uh, someone called uh, Joseph Ian that has uh, written a book on uh, Robot Proof, is the title of it, where he claims that uh, Amongst other things, being more human is what's going to be protecting us against being uh, invaded by robots or replaced by robots. And creativity and innovation is really key to that. And um, in terms of multidisciplinarity, uh, the fact that we're increasingly having uh, complex design and nonlinear complex design, we now require uh, anyone working on this from a conception to even running the systems uh, to have the ability to to be fluid, to transfer information from one discipline to the other. So being, uh, training our engineers in this case on only engineering is limiting their ability to transfer information. And 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 I read the book you talked about from Joseph Aoun and it was really interesting. The way he described it because we actually brought this up a little bit in an earlier podcast, was he, he, he described the critical importance of data literacy, of course, but also technology literacy and human cultural literacy for everyone who's graduated out of university. And that, that, that concern about robot proofing the students. And also, I just want to add that the more and more uh, corporations and, and uh, 
the, the market is, required, is requesting a broad knowledge across with a deep uh, understanding in certain discipline, what is often referred to as T-shaped uh, personality, because we have realized that to be able to do what is called close, close or far transfer, mm -hmm. you have to have a broad knowledge to be able to understand and, and make links. So how about that experience that Hanan described very well about that very first project, Alicia? How has that impacted your work in outside of the university? So I found this from my experience, but also uh, I've been part of the class as well as a project manager and also a mentor for the VR Makerspace Challenge. And what I found uh, in, in that is that you're faced with building something th that you have no idea how to build. And you're sitting there at the beginning of the class and you're with your group and you're like, I, I have no idea how to do this. Are, are we even skilled enough to do this? And this is especially, you can see this in the first year class. The first year students are like, we, we, have, we don't know this. We're not software people. We're not, uh, we don't know how to do like um, 3D modeling. We don't know any of this. And, but somehow at the end of the class, everyone figures it out. Everyone builds it. And there's a certain amount of confidence that gets built. Like the fact that I could do this. I'm only a first year student and I could build this. I can do this. I can start a company and build this. I can go work in industry and do this now. It's, it's just a really great feeling. I think it's just, you feel like you can do a lot more than you expected. So Hanan, uh, Alicia talked about the Makerspace challenge in VR. Can you say a few, that was, was the challenge we just been through this winter. Can you say if you describe it a little bit more? What what was that about? Yeah. So maybe I uh, I sort of step back and talk about Makerspace challenges a little bit since its inception. The very first Makerspace challenge that we have done was by complete serendipity. Yeah. Somebody came to my desk and said, "I have a son that doesn't have a hand and needs help." And we need to develop a prosthesis for my son. I'm a photonics professor. I looked at her and I, I said, I don't know how to do that. And she said, you got to help me. And as a mother, she cried and I cried with her. And it was just, so I looked at her and I said, I'll help you. I don't know how, but I'll help you. And I, you know, I tried to get somebody else to do it and be done with it. And nobody really you know, wanted to do that. So my solution was to turn to the students and say, let's make a challenge to help this family. And that's exactly what we did. We put the challenge. And, you know, ironically, you know, we're a faculty of engineering and there's all these graduate students and great research. The people that won were second year students. They were not with a deep knowledge, but they had the tenacity to actually continue on this and deliver this to the student. They worked day and night. I mean, you can't imagine what they did, but ultimately they delivered this. And in a very, I didn't know how to even judge which is the best design, because again, I'm a photonics <laughs> prof, right? So I, I said, okay, the user, our client, the six-year-old boy, is the judge. So we gave him the two final designs, the final prosthesis, and gave it to him for a week. We said, Sebastian, you go and check it out. And he came back and announced the winning design. 
to everybody. So this is how it started. So that was the first year. It was a total fluke. The second year we said, okay, <clears throat> what do we do? So there was a physician in London who wanted to develop one of these blood oximeters and blood oximeters in Canada, they measure blood. They measure blood for everybody, not in Canada only. <laughs> but it, it cost around 600 bucks to develop one of those. But he came and he said, I want it for less than 25 bucks. And, and apparently in third world countries, a lot of the time you don't measure blood because it's very, measure oxygen in the blood because it's very expensive to do that. So apparently that leads in 40% of the cases to death, you know, when you don't measure it. Anyways, Alicia was participating in this, uh, we called it oximeters for Gaza. And, you know, this was a Palestinian, um, a Canadian Palestinian uh, physician who wanted this at a short, at a very reduced cost. So anyways, that was the second challenge. And I didn't want to uh, actually make it a biomedical one. So the next time it was Canada 150 and the Museum of Science and Tech approached us to do wearables for a steampunk gala for the celebration of Canada 150. So, okay, we'll do steam wearables for steampunk gala for Canada 150. So that was the, then the year after, and this is where I started working with Chantelle a lot, uh, we decided to do an interactive art project for our new STEM building. And maybe you can, elaborate a little bit, Jack, about your friendship with the Dean of Arts, because that actually was the really the start of this. Yeah, and we really wanted to do something together. We realized the Dean of Arts right now is actually uh, a specialist of digital humanities. So, so there are natural linkages that we have with him. So we really pushed this project. And um, actually, this, this very complex arts and engineering project uh, we held a meeting with the former president of uh, the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council, had a breakfast meeting, we sat down with Hanan, we spoke for an hour, we need to do something arts and engineering, we thought this would be very complex, we'll meet again in a few weeks, and half an hour later Hanan had announced the project that was starting now and register <laughs> and go for it. And that's pretty much how it actually got going. And in one of our podcasts, we actually sat with one of the students from engineering and one of the students with arts, and the dean of arts was with me to interview them. And 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 I have a question for Chantal because we all, it's from our perspective, it's engineering naturally because we're all from engineering. But the students from arts also learned quite a bit, I think, from working from our with our engineering students. I don't know if they're you. You can tell us a little bit about what you've seen in the art students that work with the engineering students and technology. Sure. Uh, the first experience I had was the, the first year, of the, and that was just engineers. So I had the experience of just engineers. First of all, I thought that was pretty gutsy <laughs> of Anand to set an art challenge to a, a group of first year and second year engineers. But I was in for for the ride, I guess. <laughs> she was our client. Yeah, yes. I was a client, so I, I induced a little bit of art knowledge throughout the you know the meetings, the three four meetings we had together, and at the end we had decent decent projects, but not on an artistic standpoint, but on a, a conceptual standpoint. And they were small tabletop projects, right? Exactly, two by two by two was yep. the challenge. I I I am. I'm, 
I'm politically incorrect. They were functional and ugly. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, so just, I, didn't, I didn't dare say that. Yeah, <laughs> I can. Yeah. And they, they were functional and ugly. So I looked at. So we chose a winner, but uh, I said uh, at least there's at least two or three projects that would have the great potential of becoming something interesting, but we have to introduce art into it. It's like artists. So we, we went to, to recruit. Uh, recruited the best artists that we had available for the summer and did an internship. And definitely the students in art learned a lot and uh, some, some lives are transformed after mm -hmm. this for sure. And, and if you listen to the podcast, I think it's pretty obvious. And they spent the summer working together in the sense that they, they had, it was intense. They had a deadline. The, the, the scaled up works of art had to be ready for the 20th of September and they worked until the 20th at five minutes before the minister walked into the room. They went well above and beyond the call of duty yeah. to do that. But I was surprised because one of the things I learned in our mind, you know, art students and engineering students, it would take a while before it would actually mesh and they'd be able to have a common language and work together. But I actually realized when we interviewed the students that even the art students amongst themselves had to learn to work together to be able, before they could even make it work with the engineering students. That's correct, because uh, in, in essence, the art, art training is a solo training, whereas engineering is a bit more exposed to teamwork. Uh, students in art are essentially working at their own pace, their own subject. So they had to yeah, agree between the two students in art and between the other two students in engineering. So it was a real big learning experience for everyone involved there. So, so maybe to, 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 to close on the discussions before opening up to the Q&A for the audience, how about what you see today, Alicia? Because you were very much involved in the very last Makerspace challenge we had, which was a VR. Uh, and, and maybe just give us the title of the last Makerspace, because I don't want to make a mistake with the name. What was it, Hanan? Well, so basically it was a, I don't know if it had a title, but it was a VR experiences for people going uh, through cancer treatment, uh, chemotherapy and radiotherapy. And the idea is that what we heard from the cancer patients is they have to sit for an extended period of time and uh, they are nauseous, they're feeling sick and they want experiences to essentially elevate their symptoms. And, um, you know, I have to say, even though I'm very cognizant that my thoughts are very different from the clients, when we went there, we kind of were surprised because, you know, we were thinking of maybe, you know, this experience for them or that experience. And they sat and said, I was sick, I was nauseous, I want something tranquil and maybe a walk through the forest. And this was very different than the excitement of yes. engineering students, you know, of what they wanted to provide to people. But they made all sense, you know, after, yeah. yeah. So what about, how did you see the students in that experience compared to when you were involved in the Makerspace before? So I, I want to do a shout out to Jason and Patrick in the back. They're the winners of the Makerspace Challenge. And right now, <laughs> Um, they're 
stepping up their game right now and I hope that you guys have a chance to try it out before you leave because it's incredible, it's beautiful. And their game, how it works is it's you go, you're sitting on a boat and you're just traveling through and you get to see the scenery. And that's what I found with a lot of the games that the, the kids created. Like one of the games, um, it, it, you're in a spaceship and you travel through space and it's just like calming experience. So what was fun was the patients from the hospital, they were able to come and try the VR games and work with the students and create a new experience in VR. Thank you very much to all three of you for now. I think I will hand over the mic to the audience if you have some questions and you have to have some questions. <laughs> no pressure. So congratulations, that's awesome. I guess my question would be, are you able to measure the um, the impact of a patient having gone through this experience and correlate it to an improvement in their health and well-being? Uh, so there are a few studies right now. Um, they're using VR for pain treatment. Um, so uh, the idea with this with this challenge was to create an experience where you can sort of kind of get away from from the you're where you are right now and kind of forget about it. So at the hospital, they are doing this study right now to see if the impacts of VR, but it's it's sort of early days now. They're still figuring it out. I, I just think it'd be really awesome if there was hard data coming out to say, yeah, that going through that experience as a cancer patient in this situation actually helps alleviate, for example, anxiety, uh, depression, or what have you. So kudos to everybody, because that's awesome. Thank you very much for the podcast. It's fantastic. So I graduated in 2015, and so that means I had the benefit of spending one year at uh, the old makerspace at CBY, and so I had some time to tinker around with a 3D printer, see the 3D scanning, participate in our Arduino workshop. Um, I've graduated since, and so since I've come back, I noticed you guys have moved to the STEAM building, and you guys now have laser cutters. You guys are maybe doing some workshops for sewing or something like that. And uh, now we're here at this VR talk. So I'm wondering, what do you think the next technology that you're going to incorporate into your facilities? So VR was our latest addition. Um, so, you know, I am hoping that we can build on the VR. Um, VR right now is, there is no augmented reality. It's just VR, I think, you know, I feel that with the Makerspace Challenge, we created a community of practice. We have around, I don't know how many participated, maybe 50 students in total that participated, and I'm looking to grow that for the coming year. So that's that's where I see you know, a lot of growth. That doesn't mean that we're not doing other things. I'm just sort of saying that this is one of the areas that I am looking that we grow over the next couple of years. And VR is a really interesting area as well because you, you don't need only software people. You need artists, you need 3D modelers, you need animators, you need people from so many different fields. So it really is kind of the vision of, of the STEM and the makerspace to bring people from all different areas to getting them to work together and build something creative and new. And one thing is that you mentioned, Hanan, it's uh, augmented reality. And I think the, the combination of the know-how in photonics in the faculty, the makerspace, the, the tooling, the ability to make stuff. And now that we've just just set up the, the VR lab in, in the Simon Neme design uh, comments, I think there will be some work 
Well, I'm going to say for many years, but then Hanan will probably grow from the 50 to 2,000 students in a couple of years involved in that, but it'll grow very quickly. But that's going to be an exciting area, and I'm hoping it's going to connect with our research activities. We have more and more graduate students getting involved in these, these type of projects, so that may give us a lot more depth also in terms of the research that we can bring to bear into the projects we're doing with this. So, so that should be very exciting. You've been back to the STEM complex? Have you visited? Yeah. Okay, so you, I thought usually alumni that comes and visits STEM complex, they say I want to do another undergraduate degree and start again. <laughs> so just warning you, don't spend too much time there. Yeah. I think the really cool VR projects are going to come when the grad students start doing visualizations of their research. That's going to get really exciting. Other questions? Bearing that in mind, what's the next arts and engineering project specifically? <laughs> I, I've been away, so it's, uh, I'm just coming <laughs> back. I came back last night, but there's one on the docket for theater and, uh, and engineering. So they really want to explore spontaneity from a theater's perspective and an engineering perspective. And there's a huge opportunity around that that the Faculty of Arts inaugurated not too long ago, um, Labo, which is a, a black box theater with a lot of uh, a lot of flexibility, it's basically a big black cube with, with the infrastructure needed to do a work of art. And we've been talking to Di the dean and I have been talking for a little while about how could we bring the technology and the know-how around the ar the artistic experience to back up a, a live experience in the theater. So that's a really nice step to to take us towards having joint events and joint uh, technology with the artistic side. Sorry, and also I forgot to mention that uh, we had a, a sort of a merge internship last summer, but just this last winter we had a class together, engineering and a sculpture class, and Victoria was here and presenting her work in two places, in the, in the boardroom over there and here at the uh, Wave of Consciousness was part of this uh, new class of uh, people sharing t class time together. So we had theory uh, separate, so engineers had uh, three hours of theory, the, the artists had their t theory separately, but they came together in a three-hour lab class to create art and technology-related applications. So that was our pilot. I'm hoping that we'll take that uh, to uh, an even further degree where they have all the time together. And to me, that's real experiential learning for both, both, both students coming from different backgrounds here. Correct. And actually, this is where, to me, this is the sort of the synergy really, really comes in when they work from the very beginning. So, you know, just to back off, when we had this um, makerspace challenge and the engineers did this sort of functional but ugly thing, we invited the artists and they worked together through the summer but this was not 100% you know they didn't start from the very beginning together so we learned from that experience and this past semester we created this teams 15 art students and 15 engineering students and from the get-go they were doing and you know what you realize actually from that is the students are young and they are going to learn. They don't have preconceived notions as much as the adults, right? Part of the problem, and I say the problem and I point to myself, is, you know, I'm an engineering prof who 
who has done things in a certain way for a very long time. And Chantelle on the other side from the arts, she has done things in an arts way, although Chantelle is a different kind of person because she has both the computer science background and the arts background. So I would say that's unique. But most of the, and we had another arts professor, she was, so she was speaking English with me and sometimes I think we're speaking two different languages. <laughs> so I think part of the learning curve is not the students, it's actually the teaching staff. And I see you nodding the students what was in the experiment. You know, some of us think that this is an engineering project with a little bit of arts. And the artist thinking, this is an arts project with a little bit of engineering. And reality is, it goes hand in hand. So I just sort of, you know, one of the things that we really want to make sure is our students, even if they're just engineers, they come out appreciating the art side, that it's equally important. And they don't need to be artists, but at least not think that it's an afterthought. So, so we'll take one last question. Perhaps it's a comment and a question. I uh, really applaud you on the program, and I'm looking more at the people in the faculty and admin who have structured it, and I'm sure there were conversations about what its objectives and how it would uh, be looked at as a success. And we live in times where all this technology gives us the ability to innovate and make innovative products, but I'm hearing fairly clearly from what you've said that one, perhaps in the main product that you are actually hoping is made out of this are innovative thinkers. Just interested in any comments you have on, just to Hannah's point about maybe five, 10 years from now, those people may not be using these same technologies or in the same space at all, but they came through the program and the product that came out is still at work. Yeah, and uh, you're absolutely correct. And Alicia is a living example of that. Uh, we, we were talking in another forum, and she, when she uh, did this program, she took a couple of my courses, an entrepreneurship course, as well as an introduction to product development, and nothing that I taught her actually was in what she's doing right now. But that's okay, because she has learned to learn, and that's the biggest tool that we could give because really, you know, nothing that I learned in my undergraduate is relevant today. Uh, I Except that you learned to build functional and ugly things. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> but I learned vacuum tubes. That was my time. It wasn't even transistors. But I've learned to learn and that's really the tool, the biggest asset we can give our students. And I think, just to add to that portion, I think what the students are learning in a multidisciplinary setup, they're learning the value of diverse teams That's right. in a very tangible way. And, and they're breaking down stereotypes on their own and learning from peer to peer. So I think that those experiences, once you have that, it's value for life. There are still questions. I will let Walter ask his question. Thanks. Uh, so I applaud you with, with this program. I definitely think there's a required merging of engineering and arts. And my question is, how do you decide where that dividing line is in terms of how much of this and how much of that? 
and like what process do you go through to figure that out? Uh, let me take a stab at this. Uh, you know, this program is few courses in a very engineering intense program. To me, the more I can deviate them from the norm of engineering, the more successful they will become. Because you're giving them an alternative way of thinking. So is this the classical approach? No, but we're living in a world where the classical approach doesn't quite work, right? So uh, you know, we're giving them that alternative thinking in, you know, they have four years of 10 courses per year. This is three courses in 40, right? But they spend more time than that on their projects course, than relative to that. But the other thing is, if you heard the podcast this season, we've been talking to industry, we've been talking to Shopify, we've been talking to UI. We really want to move the design experience towards a full user experience design, so UX design program. And that's coming, and that's not only working with the Faculty of Arts, but it's also working with the Telfer Business School to try to bring together all of those expertise which are really necessary to be able to help train designers who will be able to work with the clients. So part of the answer is, you know, also to get them to, to be more prepared to respond to the clients down the road when they do hit the market. What I found from my experience is it's based on what the client wants. So everyone on the team has a superpower, like they're good at something, right? So how can we use everyone's skills in the team to deliver what the client needs? Because it doesn't, it's not about the engineers at all. It's all about the clients. So the split ends up being basically how can we get to where the, wh where the client wants to go with our abilities as a group. So I really want to thank you today in the audience who have joined us for this first experience of a live, bro live broadcast recording. So thank you very much to you. Thank you to Hanan, to Chantal, and to Alicia for sharing their time today and their experience and talking about that. So, and thank you for all the people who contribute to the podcast. So thank you to all of you and have a good afternoon. Before we finish, I'd like to thank you, the listeners, for joining us for today's discussion. If you have comments or questions, please email us at genie.engineering at uottawa.ca. That's G-E-N-I-E dot engineering at uottawa.ca. Or visit us at our faculty webpage, engineering.uottawa.ca. I also want to thank everyone who contributed to the writing, production, and editing of this podcast, including Francis Bertrand Lafrenière, Valérie Sanson, and Carl Borns. Salut à tous. See you next time. To own the future, we need to do more than just see it. We need to make it.